This is Isaka's Page 2 Podcast. Thanks everyone for joining us today. My name is Robin Lyons and I am Isaka's IT Audit Professional Practices Lead. Um, joining us is Cindy Baxter, who is Director of What's the Risk? Cindy is joining us today and we are going to talk about an article that she recently released. It's entitled, The Impact of Socks on the Industry, 20 Years Ago and Today. So welcome, Cindy. Thank you, Robin. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. A real big thank you for Cindy for, for participating today. I think about a year or so ago. Is that right, Cindy? Yes. Isaka was looking for someone to partner with us on an audit program. And Cindy, with her, her wonderful background, was able to partner with us on an audit program in the area of business continuity and disaster recovery. So I'm really looking forward to the chat today and uh, working again with Cindy. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Robin. It was a pleasure to work with you in uh, last year, something that I look forward to doing more of. Um, and I think it definitely speaks to the strength of the ISACA community, um, something I definitely value. Um, so yeah, Sarbanes-Oxley is not what I would consider to be um, one of the most exciting topics, but um, I think it's really relevant today. So I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Okay, sounds good. So to kick us off, um, Cindy, I want to talk a little bit about the article addresses the intent of SOX and to sort of frame that discussion a little bit for, for the participants. Um, when SOX was enacted, if I had to very uh, succinctly summarize the intent, it was to protect public interest and also to boost investor confidence given circumstances during that time. So in your opinion, um, are we better off 20 years after the enactment of SOX? So I think um, there are a lot of things that SOX has contributed to today's environment. And I am one who believes that SOX has been a good contribution to what we do for several reasons. Um, first of all, the, the fact that we have a very structured environment that has really kicked off a number of industries in terms of auditing and reviewing. Robin, as you mentioned, it was really targeted at finance, at accounting, um, at a time when there was a lot going on. When we think back at the early 21st century, we had the dot-com boom and the internet was really just getting kick-started. A lot of people moved out of their, what one might call their secure jobs to jump on the dot-com bandwagon. All these companies like MCI WorldCom and Enron were working and really flourishing. It also, I think, is significant to know how people were getting paid was also changing. So we were moving away from what I would call a pension environment, where you would stay for a long period of time in a company, pay your dues, so to speak, and get a pension. And we really moved into the 401k arena where finance became really a very important thing. And when the Sarbanes-Oxley law got enacted back in 2002, all this environment contributed to putting people's minds at ease. And for us today, it gave us a framework that allows us, no matter what our industry, to examine, to investigate, and to 
identify consequences or even recognition for good behavior so that it reinforces what we need to do for everybody to be treated fairly and, and not to fear about their financial well-being. That's an excellent point, Cindy. And I, I really appreciate that, you know, I, I sort of spoke in very broad terms about protecting public interest, but I think your comment put a face to who the public actually is when you talked about the shift from pensions to 401ks, because I think mm -hmm. a lot of us can actually relate to to that and, and thinking that, you know, we're a part of that public interest that's being protected. So so that's a great point. Thank you. Mm -hmm. you, you addressed a lot of areas in the article, but one area in particular that you highlighted related to challenges in legislation being relevant and effective. Yes. So what updates do you think that SAS could possibly have or incorporate that would make it more relevant and more effective? I think one of the key add-ons, if you will, for SOX would be more automation to what we do. So, so again, it's not really that legislative adaptation. And, and the reason I say that, Robin, is, is we all know from our current environment, the legislative process, the regulatory process as well, is, is extremely time-consuming. In fact, as I did my research, there were so many times when the system questioned itself about SOX. Um, there were several articles um, that I've referenced that talked about, was that really the right thing to do? And was there really impact? And as I start to dig into some of the legislative conundrums that we face today above and beyond SOX, the process is, is definitely very you know, methodical, and that doesn't always um, include timeliness. And I think what it means is we as auditors and risk professionals have the opportunity to take SOX as it is and make sure that it fits for the needs that we have. The law is very detailed, but it does give a lot of room to make sure that people have a path to compliance, that auditors can in fact look at what they are doing and tweak it around the requirements so that people find it to be relevant. I think the biggest and most important thing about SOX in the, the 2022 environment is to make sure that it's operationally effective. What I mean by that is it's fine to look at the legislative process and say this law was enacted, but as I read through the actual law, it definitely is challenging to try to figure out the different nuances. When you start to look at legal testimony, you can see all the different people who are represented and have a different view on what the law is supposed to be. And I think that's an opportunity for us as risk management and auditing professionals, because we are specialists. We do understand our environment. More importantly, we know how to question and make sure that we're staying on track with the framework that Sarbanes-Oxley was meant to enact. Cindy, when we talk a little bit about the effectiveness and the relevance of, of legislation and, and of SOX in particular, um, do you think that there are opportunities for audit practitioners and risk professionals to 
maybe better socialize what they're doing in the arena of socks so that it's not something that's done behind some hidden curtain and other people in the organizations aren't aware of what they're doing and and possibly can't connect the dots on what the operational benefits are. Absolutely. In fact, I'm really glad you brought that up, Robin, because it was one of the notes that I had had put down. I think that Sarbanes-Oxley helped legitimize our profession. And to your point, a lot of what auditors, IT auditors especially, tend to do is do the work in the background, examine the details of the systems or the apps or the code, and it's not always out front. I am convinced that awareness is a key part of education. And I think that what makes things all the more effective for our profession is when we do recognize that we are experts, we give benefit to the community we're auditing, whether it's you know your corporation, whether it's um, a nonprofit firm that, that you're working with that is trying to get through serving their own constituents, or even as you, as you work with, say, your own city governments, there, there's always an opportunity to help bring the positive discipline of risk management and auditing to the forefront. Um, and, and, and that means we have to speak out more than perhaps we would traditionally do. Good. That, that, that's a good point. Thank you for that, Cindy. So so continuing that discussion, um, and I guess stepping back a little bit to more uh, general um, aspects of the regulatory landscape, are there any trends or regulations that, that you're intrigued by, that you're following, um, that may be effective either in 20 or 2022 or beyond that those in the SOX area would uh, would need to be aware of? So that's a really good question. And I almost feel like I'm doing a precursor to one of my future articles because I, I'm an article or two ahead of this podcast. And resiliency is, is one of the, the articles I'm working on. And as opposed to what you and I were working on together last year, I decided to dip into my own backyard, which is Boston, Massachusetts in, in the United States, to figure out how how does anything get done? You know, we're in a climate worldwide where divergent views are really the theme of the day. And as auditors, our job is always to look at lots of data and make sure that we can cut to the chase for ourselves, but also for others. And what I find from a, a Sarbanes-Oxley perspective, even given some of the research that I'm doing on climate resiliency, is that you know sometimes you've got to look back and realize that there are, are certain elements that never change. And one of those is human behavior. Sarbanes-Oxley meant to address the fact that human behavior succumbs to temptation. It doesn't mean we're all bad. It's just that there are opportunities for fraudulent activity. Sometimes they don't seem all that bad. And I think what's evolved over time is, you know, a couple of things. First of all, regulation has to fit. As I've already mentioned, it's got to be operationalized. Regulation has to have an awareness aspect not of the typical auditor, uh-oh, here they come, hide that stuff in your drawer, but of 
benefits that are mutual. And, and that's our job to do. As I started looking at a lot of the 2022 legislation that's underway in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, I found complexity has not disappeared. Divergent interests are everywhere. And there's so much material, it just makes me wonder how the rest of the world, how our clients can manage to get through that. And the answer is they really need our support. So our understanding of what we're scoping out is critical. Understanding the value of Sarbanes-Oxley, which yes, there's a lot of word out there about how, how stringent it is, how demanding it is in terms of documentation, but we're in a different world than 2002. We have the ability to automate a lot of our work. We have the ability to use algorithms or macros to get to the end game. And you know what? We're used to collecting documentation. So I think the legislative process is not going to go away. Everybody's view needs to be heard, but we as auditors and risk management professionals need to boil that down. And Sarbanes-Oxley is still a good way to help establish that framework. Fantastic. And Cindy, I think, I think you've touched on this, on this next question a little bit, but I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper. So when you talked a, a little bit about human behavior, hmm. I wanted to get your opinion and your perspective. Um, when the scandals that you referenced in the article, WorldCom and Enron, and of course there were others, the response was, legislative. And so that's how we ended up with SOX mm -hmm. in, the, in the United States. So what are your thoughts on legislation and how essential it is in promoting corporate behavior? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I was trying to figure out what value legislation really has. As I read some of the readings that I referenced at the end of my article, there's so many different views on it. Um, and, and, and the media tells us different things, too. Before you and I started our conversation right now, I went back to look at what was going on in 2002. And I, it seems like I'm always citing a movie. And in this case, I'd like to cite Ocean's Eleven. It's a great movie with George Clooney. It was a takeoff. I did not know this of, of the uh, Ocean's Eleven film done in the 60s by the Rat Pack. Um, I'm a fan of the George Clooney one. I didn't know the other one existed, but it really brought the comedic aspect of fraud to the forefront. And I think from the technology perspective, it brought how easy it is to commit fraud. And, and once again, whether you watch the movie and you warm up to George Clooney or one of the other characters as they manage to get away with, you know, the fraction of the cent and they bring the casino down, or um, if it's even the movie called The Office where this poor employee just didn't get any recognition, so he bilks the system and manages to send himself a check once again by skimming, there really is, you know, social media movies and other forms of entertainment, if you will, that promote fraudulent activity that not really encourage the behavior, but certainly don't put the behavior down. When you think of the fact that in 1919, Charles Ponzi, in, you know, infamously still 
very in the press, if you will, because of Bernie Madoff and the legislation that thankfully brought him to justice, that behavior is often fostered by the world we live in today. And, and with such a fast social media and so many sources of information that need to be culled through, the information provided is confusing. If we don't have a framework and we don't identify what's really required, what the potential consequences are, and make people aware that there is auditing, um, the opportunity to not have a smooth running business and have behavior gone wild is extremely possible. Not because people are inherently out to bilk the system, but because again, it's a natural tendency. And sometimes it's really hard to understand where that line is drawn. What is acceptable? What is really not acceptable? And people are influenced by way too many things. It's an area where we certainly can make a difference, I believe. Fantastic, fantastic. So Cindy, um, I know we talked a little bit about media, its role in fraud and individual behavior that can extend to corporate behavior. But what do you consider to be the, the lasting lessons of the corporate scandals that we saw prior to, to stocks that actually triggered stocks in the United States and, and similar legislation globally? So I think there are several lessons, and I actually wrote a few key things down because I do think that keeping the takeaways in mind are really important especially in a conversation about fraudulent activity and, and the real intent of Sarbanes-Oxley. I think a lot of large companies do a very good job of making sure that their employees are aware and educated about what is acceptable behavior and what is not acceptable behavior, where, where the boundaries are. Smaller companies do to a certain degree, um, but don't always have the same resources. So having that common knowledge and awareness, I think, is a key takeaway. It is something that ISACA professionals can bring to the table and should bring to the table. And honestly, I think that's not only one of the fun things that we can do is make people aware, especially with fraud. There are so many interesting stories out there to tell as examples. But I think it also helps you promote your own business if you are working like I am as a consultant to others so that they understand that you're not just checking on them or investigating them, but you're bringing them into a greater awareness of what the positives and what the consequences are of different behavior. I think another one that is very important is we need to adopt automation. We investigate, we audit systems, applications, interconnections. We look at architecture. We ask all the right questions to try to dig in and make sure that things are working the way they ought to. In one of my articles last year in the algorithms volume, I talked about doing an insider trading audit. And the result of that audit was I had to conduct it three times. The situation that made it a three-time event was that I hadn't widened my scope enough. I hadn't asked enough questions. So I think the opportunity to ask questions because you can take advantage of automation is really important. 
So adopting the new applications and the new methodology, including AI, that adds value to us as risk managers and auditors is really important because ultimately, as I've started to say, my third takeaway is we have investigative skills that help us do a really accurate job. And we need to take advantage of that by having the more routine things that we do, including spreadsheet work, get done on an automated basis. That will allow us more time in front of our clients, more time to really analyze what the results are. And most importantly, my last takeaway is to really produce an audit report with results that are actionable by our clients, by the organization that we face, or if we're doing some kind of public testimony, as is the case with some of the Sarbanes-Oxley stuff that I was looking at, that you're really focusing on what could be achievable, knowing that then you can track it afterwards and enforce continuous improvement. That's that's great. Thank you for those comments, Cindy. And, and I think um, I agree with you wholeheartedly that there are opportunities to uh, adopt more automation and also to embrace the consultative perspective in the mm-hmm. roles that we perform in our organization. So, so thank you for that. In wrapping up our time today, Cindy, I wanted to look a little closer to the day-to-day involvement of auditors and other professionals. Can you speak a little bit about the benefits that you see in audit and first-line teams working closely together? Yeah, I think that's a really valuable place where we can collaborate. Um, First line of defense, I feel very strongly about. Uh, It's the opportunity for you to be with your team in the thick of it with something you know better than anybody else. And so do they. That's where you get down to avoiding the experience I had with that insider trading review, where really you're part of the team. And and that was a very good example where as once removed, the feedback was not as timely as it needed to be, and it did not pass the test for completeness. So working with our uh, colleagues in audit and making sure that we not only collaborate on the outcome but that we improve in understanding together means that we will deliver more timely and much more achievable results because ultimately we are there to support the business. And if we have something that is really beyond what the business can reasonably accomplish, then we're not going to be effective. So I think it's very important that we work together to perform that. Just as important, Things are really busy all the time. And with the frenetic pace of technology, there's no reason why we can't collaborate on audit plans. With first line of defense covering certain programs, audit covering other programs, all of us paying attention to the SOX requirements so that we have a much broader portfolio of reviews that we can bring to the table to our clientele and to our colleagues in the business. That's great. That's great. So appreciate that comment as well as other perspectives that you shared today. So Cindy, thank you again for your time. Uh, We appreciate it. And if anyone has not yet had an opportunity to read Cindy's article, again, the title is The Impact of Socks on the Industry 20 Years Ago and Today. And you can find it in Volume 1, 2022 of the ISACA Journal. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Robin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Page to Podcast. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode.